welcome to Smart Mind Wine Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Christine Fitzgerald, a certified nutritionist, award-winning gymnast, and creator of Smart Mind, the first guilt-free wine that lets you unwind without undoing all of your hard-earned efforts in the health and fitness goals that you've been trying to achieve. You're welcome. This podcast is for the person who wants it all, a satisfying glass of wine, healthy body, and an active social life. And I'm here to tell you it's all possible. And I'm 100% with you, which is why this will be your favorite podcast guaranteed. When it comes to wine, know that it's not what you think it is. It's not just grapes. Most of the time it contains chemicals, fillers, added sugars, and it's not even vegan. Learn from myself and experts in the wine industry. They'll reveal what really goes on in the cellar and what's lurking in your wine. Smart Vine Wine and Wellness Podcast, I'm telling you, it's blowing the roof off and busting myths in the wine industry. From a wellness standpoint, I've worked with thousands of clients for over 20 years, so I know what works and what doesn't. You'll get personalized and proven wellness tips and tricks that are truly timeless. No fads, no gimmicks. I'll help keep you on track for your health goals with that glass of wine in hand, I promise. You may be wondering, why a nutritionist created a wine? I may even be a bit surprised that I approve of the wine while on any diet, even keto. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome. This is Christine Fitzgerald with Smart Vine Wine and Wellness Podcast. I'm thrilled and honored today to have Karen here from Buttonwood, which I never thought that I would reveal where our grapes come from, but I think it's so important that we understand what's really going on in the wine industry, in the cellar, from an expert, and why we get our grapes from her. And I'd love to say, hi, Karen, how are you? And please say, you know, how you came to be in the wine industry. Give us your background and your story, kind of set the stage for the listeners. Oh, sure. So, hi, um, I've been the winemaker here since 2007. Uh, before that, I was uh, three vintages over with Kathy Joseph at Fiddlehead Cellars in Santa Rita Hills. And before that, three vintages uh, at Foley Estates, also in Santa Rita Hills, both of those focusing on Pinot Noir particularly. But before that, I was 25 years in high tech. Um, I was my last position at a startup uh, down in Century City in the LA region in one of those towers um, working very long hours trying to be one of those people that would get stock options that would be able to cash them out and that would be it but that didn't happen so when we shut down that company due to lack of uh, venture capital um, on the second round I just decided that I would come up to Santa Barbara County where my late husband and I used to visit quite often to enjoy the wines and try to work harvest. So I finally kind of pushed my way into a harvest position over at Foley, even though uh, I am a girl and I am old. So <laughs> that's kind of how it happened. And I just didn't go back. And um, I have the luxury of living here in beautiful Santa Barbara wine country, where it's a little weird right now, but uh, still pretty wonderful. I can't even imagine the scenery that you have. I think a lot of us are pretty jealous because we may just be looking at our backyard or, you know, whatever it is, but you just have these beautiful vineyards and I've been there a few times and it's a playland. It's absolutely gorgeous with the pond that you have. And how big is the actual property where the grapes are grown? 
So the, the entire farm is 106 acres and the vineyard is 42. Um, I did my daily walk this morning and mm. everything's looking pretty cool. Um, you know, we, we are essential workers here. So we've been uh, working ever, every day since this thing has happened. You don't stop growing grapes and you don't stop making wine. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it's been a little lonely, but <laughs> the I grape bet. Grapes of Mother Nature are still uh, going strong and they don't seem to know what's going on. Right. And they're very healing, you know, just being out in nature and in the sun. It's just such life-giving forces out there. Yeah, you just, you're true. so grounded and it's a breath of fresh air. You're kind of transported to this paradise, it would feel like. Well, it's also, it is very nurturing um, and mm -hmm. you do get fresh air and sunlight. So that's, that's healing. And uh, you kind of realize that, uh, when you, when you take kind of a human element out of a lot of things that um, things are just going to go on as they have for millennia, really. They have. And I think Mother Nature is basically thanking us because the world is really healing by us ste stepping back for a minute yes. and you're watching it everywhere. And it's just a beautiful sight to see. So thank you for sharing that. I, I can see it and I've been there, but uh, it's wonderful that you're still enjoying it. And I know that you grow other fruits there, correct? What's the other aspects of the farm there? So up on the top is all vines, all grapevines. So we don't really grow anything else up here, but okay. down on the lower part of the property, uh, we grow um, pretty famous for our peaches. We have, I think, <laughs> 20 different varieties of peaches. Wow. Um, I grow hops down there for our hopped wine. There's also some uh, pears and some Asian pears, uh, almonds, if the crows don't get them, uh, <laughs> olives and pomegranates. And then there's real crops every year as well. The, uh, the peaches are probably even more famous than the wine here. And uh, hmm. just because we generally sell them through a farm stand and we didn't really want to take a risk on um, how that would work with social distancing and not sampling and things like that. Most of that fruit this year is being donated to the food bank. Mm, wonderful. That's... <sighs> You know, when I was there before, I was actually pregnant, and that was my biggest secret <laughs> is that I was there pregnant, but I just, I absolutely wanted your peaches, and that's what my friend was telling me, that they just were known for their peaches, but tell me why your vineyard is where it is as far as you're pretty protected from the other vineyards. I mean, you're not sandwiched really in between. Kind of describe the location of where the vineyard is so that people can understand that, for example, you're not an or organic vineyard on a highway, for example. Right. So the, the San Inez Valley is pretty unique. It's one of the most uh, unique places to grow uh, a wine in the world. San Inez Valley is a transverse valley. So it goes directly east-west, uh, directly out to the ocean. Mm. So what that does is it allows us to grow different grapes in different microregions with the cooler grapes like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir being grown closer to the ocean where it's cool during the day. And those with thicker skins like Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet uh, more to the east. And we mm -hmm. have, even within the San Inez Valley, the furthest to the east is the Happy Canyon of Santa Barbara uh, AVA. And then you get to our little AVA here called Los Olivos District. Going to the west, you have the Ballard Canyon, which is known a lot for Rhone's. And then even going further west, you've got uh, uh, Santa Rita Hills, which is mostly Pinot, Chardonnay, and very thin-skinned grapes. Mm. So where we are during the day, in a normal year, whatever that is these days, um, 
We have uh, high 80s to 90s and sometimes triple digits during the day. But then because of the transverse uh, valley, we uh, lose 40 to 50 degrees at night. Mm. So it's natural air conditioning. What that does is it allows these thicker skin grapes uh, to ripen uh, beautifully. And yet because of the cold nights, the acidity in the grapes stays there. So we mm. have these really pretty food friendly grapes. Now this vineyard was planted in 1983 and 1985 by our founder, Betty Williams, who at the time was growing like organic microgreens and she was doing some horse uh, breeding and uh, uh, cutting horse training here. She uh, was a really forward thinking lady who teamed up with a couple other gentlemen in the valley to create the uh, land trust to keep land in agriculture. And that became the Land Trust of Santa Barbara County. And one of the uh, trio in this, uh, this uh, attempt to get uh, land kept into agriculture was a gentleman named Michael Benedict, who's uh, pretty famous around our parts for uh, establishing the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard in 1971 out um, in the Santa Rita Hills. And as a friend, Michael said, you know, that top part, which is just cattle grazing at the time, looks like a beautiful part uh, for a vineyard. Mm. It's on a mesa. It's about um, 600 feet higher than like where the gardens and the tasting room are. And it's a series of rolling hills that uh, has a, a really kind of, I mean, crappy soil if you would plant tomatoes because it's, you know, it's not very uh, rich. It's like mm. a lot of uh, rocks and sand and um, kind of loamy stuff, uh, not much clay, but some. So they started planting that in 1983, and it is planted all on its own roots. Hmm. So that's different than the, the way vineyards have been planted since, but now it's coming to be trendy again. It's kind of like bell bottoms. It's all back. <laughs> um, in that case, you know, you don't use a rootstock. So what they would do nowadays is you would choose a rootstock for your particular location, how much vigor you want, what types of soil, and then you would have grafted onto it the, uh, the variety. So you would have like something sexy like 101.14 rootstock, and you would graft onto that uh, Sauvignon Blanc. But ours are all on their own roots. So what you did back in those days, in which um, many are doing again, is you take the actual cultivar, so the Sauvignon Blanc, for instance, and you stick that in the ground, and it will root itself. So our vines are all like this. They're, they're pretty old. I mean, for around here, they're one of the heritage vineyards, hmm. but they are super duper healthy. And I think a lot of that, as well as the specific um, varietal character of the, the grapes or the wines themselves are because, you know, they are that way and they, they are not on, on a different uh, rootstock than the cultivar. That's fascinating. I didn't even know all of that. I'm, no wonder the wine is amazing. And it's, chemical free. I mean, when we first came to your vineyard, I had no idea that you were going to be glyphosate free. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, what's happening in the industry and what you see around chemical usage because of your heritage wines. And, you know, those vineyards there have been there a long time, but there's, you know, the overspray, et cetera, that people are used to hearing about just with organic food yeah. in general. So when I went up and down the coast, you know, with my colleague, it was surprising to me that you know, the levels of chemicals that were actually in some of the farms. And I didn't want to discredit them or anything like that because I understood, you know, from location wise, but also when they were planted, 
what was going on there. But if you can describe to listeners how you basically tend to your vineyards, because I don't think people understand what kind of mass production looks like as far as just tending to the vineyards. Let's just start there. What goes into the soil? What happens? You know, weeds. There are some vineyards that look like, you know, they haven't been touched. You know, there's weeds everywhere and other of them are as clean as possible. I mean, you can walk through like for weddings, right? There's not a weed in sight. So if you can go into that a little bit, that would be helpful. Sure. So weeds are, we don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) Weeds take energy away from the vine. So, uh, but I've always had, I've just had a feeling that if uh, glyphosate kills a weed, it's probably killing other things too. I don't think it can be very specific to what it is taking out. So I've always been opposed to it and um, it was just a gut feeling. I didn't have any science behind it whatsoever. Uh, It was attempting to try to just like, you know, put them down once with a good spray of glyphosate, but we resisted. Uh, We do all of our weeding doesn't look, I mean, I was walking today, it doesn't look like we've been doing any weeding but uh, we do it all uh, using mechanical means. So we have an attachment on the tractor uh, that will go and just disturb the soil around the vine uh, root and you know, try to take those things out by just you know, getting, cutting off their roots. Um, it is very expensive. It's a, it's a, you can see, I can see why others resorted to something that had been promoted as being totally safe. So, right. But I just had a, I just didn't feel right about it, so we didn't do that. We don't use any synthetic products here. We are not organically certified because of the nature of the vines being on their own roots. Um, they are, they could be susceptible to phylloxera, which is a, a, rat, a louse that you know has destroyed vineyards across the world for decades. And if in fact we saw that we had phylloxera or something like that coming into the vineyard. Um, being in the sustainable camp, which means that we have to be economically sustainable as well, we would take means that we would have to take that would probably not be organic. And the organic thing is kind of a weird thing too, because if you're certified organic, uh, it's a very bureaucratic type of thing, right? So there's a list of products that are, are on this certified organic list. Many of those like style and oil we do use. Uh, but there, you know, the or, there are some really nasty organic things. I mean, you know, right. if you, I've you, heard that. I would love for you to expand on that because people ask us all the time. And I, sorry, just interrupt you there because it's really something that comes up all the time for us is why aren't you certified organic? Why aren't you organic? I don't, I don't understand. Are you biodynamic? That's something else I'd love for you to touch on the, the difference of how this goes on. Because as a nutritionist, I, not a winemaker at all. I, I'm learning as everyone goes as well, but these questions come up and I do my answer. And of course, again, being a nutritionist is there are still organic compounds that aren't so good for you. (laughs) There's still chemicals. So, I mean, I learned that in the food industry, right? Just because it's organic doesn't mean it's good for you. Look at the ingredients, what's really being used. What's, what's going on there? What are they adding? So if you can continue on that, I'm right there with you. Yeah, even in Mother Nature, uh, you know, there are some more, obviously everything is pretty much organic, right? Um, Right. And if you chew on a philodendron, you you may die. Mm, (laughs) Good point. There are are poisonous plants and there are poisonous compounds and, you know, copper, 
is good, but it's a poison. I mean, it will hurt you. And so access too. Mm-hmm. We've, yeah, we've all been we've all been led to believe that the word organic means something other than what it really means, which is it's not inorganic and it's not synthetic. So we take what we call, and we're not biodynamic um, either. I mean, I kind of laugh about, we're, we're probably one of the more biodynamic places around because we are an ecosystem within ourselves here. We have animals and we have wine and we could just all stay here. <laughs> I mean, in case of a disaster, we're just going to come to Buttonwood because you know we've got water and we've got, fruits and vegetables and we've got animals and we've got wine. So, you know, there you go. You're set. Sure. But that's so. a, the interesting <laughs> thing, Karen, is biodynamics. Some people that is what for some wineries, that's what they market. For example, they say, well, we're biodynamic. And so a lot of people can hang on to that and really start comparing other wines. Well, if they're not biodynamic, I'm not going to drink them. So can you touch on that from your perspective being in the industry? So certainly, I mean, biodynamics is something that Rudolf Steiner created as a, a property becoming its own really uh, micro ecosystem, right? And that is that if you think about, you know, the, the, the way things work, you have animals that then, you know, poop on the ground and then they, uh, they walk on that ground and they, you know, they till that, that um, fertilizer into the soil then the plants grow and you use the compost, et cetera. So it's, it's like, a, it's a lovely circle. It takes into consideration um, seasons and moon phases, which makes some sense too. I mean, obviously gravity is different for doing some things in the cellar than it is at other times. Um, but a lot of it is a little, in our opinion, um, voodoo-ish. But if you, hmm. if you try to, and the other thing is it comes down to a certification, right? So you say you're biodynamic and a lot of that, again, this is like an organic certification. And if you don't have that, you are not right. That's just kind of the way it works as far as regulations. And I often say mm-hmm. uh, to my colleagues who are biodynamic and they, you know, they do, they make lovely wines and they, they follow these practices and God love them for doing that. They're, they're probably not as, um, mm-hmm. you know, they've got more energy than I, but my question <laughs> to them is where's your cow? Right, because if you're mm. truly biodynamic, then you've got animals on your property, and you you don't necessarily do things like you know uh, purchasing biodynamic products from outside of your property. That would be the purest way to be biodynamic. So, and I kind of like saying I just you know I'm too old to like you know dance naked on a full moon going counterclockwise. So, um, but <laughs> I love that. We like, <laughs> We like to think of as ourselves and there's not, you know, we're, we're sustainable and uh, we are pursuing that certification because now there's a certification through the California Association of Wine Grape Growers to do so. Uh, and we follow those practices, certainly. As far as treating our, our grapes, um, we file a, a biological profile. So what we do is we take um, samples of the, the leaves, which are the, and we take the little stem from the leaf. And we send those in for a nutritional analysis to see you know, how the vines are doing. And we're really looking not at the grapes, but at the vine. We want that vine to be healthy. And if that vine can sustain itself, it can, it can then fight off insects by itself. It doesn't have to have any kind of insecticide. It's got to have, it's just like people, Christine, like you're, if you keep yourself healthy, you're going to be able to fight off uh, colds and uh, other things more so than if you are weak, right? So it's the same thing if right. you're looking at vines. We just, we, we, you know, I kind of 
take their take their temperature, so to speak, saying like, what's missing? Uh, what else do you need? Mm. And we work with a company uh, called Petric, which is into biologicals. And we, we will find if they're missing, uh, you know, name something like magnesium, we use a biological product that we'll put through the drip. So what we're trying to do is just keep that vine very healthy. We, we don't do a lot of stressing of them either. Uh, we, we give them a little bit of water. If it's getting too hot, we're not going to say like, try to trick you into thinking that you're dying and therefore ripen your fruit. That's just not what we do. Mm-hmm. So we let them go along in their natural cycle. We focus all of our efforts on keeping those, those vines uh, healthy and strong. And if we find something like, you know, last week we had, uh, there's these, these little things called leaf hoppers. And what they do is they will you know, hop onto a leaf, good, good word, huh? And they will chew on that so that they start to take away the chlorophyll, which is going to hurt, you know, the, the vine being able to, to fully ripen because without chlorophyll, you just, you know, it's going to shut down that leaf. So instead of like trying to use an insecticide to get rid of them, we use stylet oil, which is organic material. And uh, what we'll probably do in another week is we'll do a foliar spray of um, silica. And, you know, silica being a natural compound is just going to kind of give a little bit more um, strength to the leaves and to the skins of the vine so that, you know, insects can't pierce them. So that's what we do. We don't so I think you're actually saying that you're biohacking your grapes, <laughs> which I love. That is the word in the nutrition world of where you're literally trying to figure out how to keep you in the most optimal shape and health possible. Exactly. And you do testing constantly to figure out what the deficiencies are. And I love that you're saying that we are so interrelational with the vines and what you're doing, is, especially right now, it is so important to be healthy and doing everything we can to be as strong as possible. And then we won't need a vaccine or antibiotics or any, you know, everyone to their own. I, I'm not disrespecting anyone on that, but my point is, is exactly what you're saying is that have you stopped to look at what's happening internally in your body? Have you done any testing? What are you deficient in? Your exactly. body can't work without these, you know, minerals and these compounds. And if you age rapidly, just like, you know, the vine starts falling apart, right? It's showing weakness. It's not going to survive. And that can happen when someone's 40 or it can happen when they're 80. But how are you bridging that gap? How are you figuring out what's missing to continue to be as lively as possible, for example, into your 80s? And instead of being on 20 prescriptions, still being able to get out, play with your grandkids and have a quality of life. There's a big difference. Yeah, the life with these vines. I mean, it's powerful. It's absolutely powerful what you just said. So I wanted to thank you and uh, just make that a point because it's so powerful. I mean, we always, we hear about, I mean, and I know there's, there's younger vines planted. uh, And to your point about why, you know, why we don't have to worry so much about because we're on this tall mesa up here and there are really not a lot of vineyards around us. And also because, you know, we've got this wind coming from the ocean every day. There's mm. really, we don't have drift here, but, you know, I know that when you were testing um, grapes from other vineyards, even around us, that I, I know they had never used glyphosate. They still had some trace of it. So there, there is, there is issues with, uh, with drift. Uh, we don't seem to be um, susceptible to any of that here whatsoever. So if someone was like to the east of us, um, well, it'd have to go quite a ways, but 
um, they wouldn't get anything drifting from our vineyard that would be detrimental to the health of their vines. And I know that I know some of the younger uh, vineyards to our east that planted Cabernet Franc particularly um, way after we did. I mean, 20 years after we did. And those vines have been pulled out right now because of virus. Mm. Now, I think it's because Cabernet Franc in particular doesn't like a graft. But I don't have see, oh. <laughs> I don't have any scientific evidence to that whatsoever. But that's that's what I, I hear. We also have we have this really wonderful guy that's a consultant to us. He's a soil consultant, and uh, he is also a dowser. So he's also checking the energy of the vines all the time to make sure that they're happy. And that's the same thing with humans. Aren't we energetic light beings? I mean, we our energy shifts. I mean, that's how we go about our day the energetic state that we're in. We either have energy or we don't. And people are constantly trying to find energy. We want to be plugged into the wall. You right. know, but when we're really tired, we're like, where's our energy? We're drinking caffeine, you know, sodas, whatever it is <laughs> to keep our energy going. But again, it gets back to exactly what you're saying, the mineral loss and, you know, the environment. But my colleague was telling me about that gentleman. And because I'm so connected in that way, you know, being a nutritionist for over 20 years, I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I think it's fantastic. I think it's the life force, like Chinese medicine it is the life force that is just on the planet. It's in every tree, every vineyard, every person. And it's just figuring out how to keep that energy lively. And it's biohacking at its finest in whatever capacity it is, either a vineyard or a person. So I think that that's fascinating. And it's wonderful to hear that you're using so many different elements because it comes out in the wine and all the testing that I did, all this crazy testing, <laughs> you know, lab testing, the nutritional value, the, um, the chemical content, you were this gem, right? That I found. And I, just know that there's more vineyards like you and the other vineyards around you though I was surprised as well to your point that they had higher levels of glyphosate sometimes than organic and it is unfortunately which way the wind is going and you know if they sprayed you know they say well we haven't sprayed in 12 years well this is something I want to ask you Karen kind of like a human body at least in my mind we constantly have to detox on some level which could be just drinking water, right? We have to flush the toxins out of our system or our body starts to, you know, come up with health problems. Same thing with the vine. What I came up with, and it's just an assumption, is that if, for example, a vineyard hasn't sprayed glyphosate, say, in 12 years, and they came up, you know, with having glyphosate in their vine, just for example, using that one chemical, my thought process is that the vine isn't able to fully detox without help. Do you have any thoughts about what it takes to detox a vine or, you know, going from a vineyard that uses chemicals and then switching over and what that process would entail and how long it would take to see if that's really the language that I'm using is correct, that the, the vines just haven't been able to detox it out? Well, so here, and I, you know, again, I'm not a scientist, so uh, right. here... We have, we have drought conditions almost all the time, right? So you, uh, and we don't flood irrigate, so there's no way to flush the root system, which goes very deeply. I mean, those roots are looking for water 
And around here, we have a, a pretty good aquifer, but they're going to go deep. And they're going to go through you know, a hard pan or some clay or whatever to get there. So in order to get their roots flushed, it takes quite a bit. And you compound that with the fact that we've got salt air here from the ocean every day. So you've got salty soil, which is another issue. So salt in the soil, of course, as you know, with plants, uh, they don't like salt and mm -hmm. uh, it kind of hurts their little root system. So there's, and we don't, um, you know, we don't waste water. So you can't go through and kind of like spray everything with water. Um, and we don't, by the way, wash our grapes, even though Cameron Diaz seems to think we do. Um, I definitely want to touch on that. So we'll circle back to that, but please continue because I'm fascinated by that coming up because I think that that is right in people's faces right now and they need to understand and discern, you know, what's real and what's not so real. <laughs> so, you know, what we do, I mean, obviously the way the cycle is, is we, uh, we grow vines and then we pick grapes and then the vines shut down, they, they go dormant and we hope that we have a, a cold winter so they go completely dormant. And then uh, we prune them in January uh, back. So I, perhaps um, that is in the wood cuttings and maybe people need to remove all of that from the vineyard. You know, generally what we do with the prune, the prunings is they just get kind of chipped up and into the soil to act as a, a bit of a compost. So if there's, and I, I could be making this up, but if there's something like in that wood uh, that's a pathogen, it could continue to stay in the soil. Mm, uh, great we don't thought. Do anything, yeah, and I don't really know. I mean, you know, I don't know anyone around here who uses uh, harsh chemicals uh, at, at all. Um, so it's hard for me to really say how if you took like one of the big commercial vineyards and say the Central Valley and tried to turn it into something that was organic, I don't even know how you, how you would do this. Not that I don't you know you couldn't, but I don't know how. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and that's another conversation for us to have. Would you like to talk about the cleaning of the grapes first or kind of going into the cellar in the process of the winemaking so people can understand mm -hmm. what happens from... Yeah, so I mean, the, the whole thing with this new trend called clean wines, which is somewhat related to the natural wine movement, um, is a lot of marketing speak, because a lot of it's just untruthful. But, you know, the, the latest one is this Abilene Wines, which is uh, Cameron Diaz and her friend who are uh, producing this wine somehow. Um, and, and there's like silly things in there that uh, we, we laugh at, but we also become a little insensitive. First of all, I would say, uh, at least the people that I know, and I know a hundred winemakers here in Santa Barbara County and up and down the Central Coast, I don't know anyone that is farming their vineyards without the utmost care to do so, and generally are not using any synthetic products whatsoever. I don't know anybody who has got helicopters flying over spraying toxins on mm -hmm. their vines. I just don't. So uh, in order for all these kind of things to come out and say that, you know, we're making clean wines and no one else is, or we're, you know, we're not adding sugar and they all are, or, you know, they're putting all these things, which will translate into our cellar discussion too, is, is simply untrue. I mean, perhaps, I mean, if, if someone goes into a large grocery store, say in the Midwest, a Kroger or something like that, and they look at the wines on the shelf, many of those wines, although they have different labels and brands, are made by some of the very big guys. And they probably have to make things in a, in a factory way. But 
I even know some of those big uh, vineyard uh, owners up in uh, Central Valley, they don't even do this kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. um, that is just untrue, and it's just marketing speak trying to frighten people. Um, we don't wash the graves. I mean, everybody's just like, I can't believe you don't wash the graves. Well, I made this really lovely um, soup the other day of leeks and potatoes, and mm. those leeks are really dirty. <laughs> and dirt is good for your immune system. Remember as a kid, I know my 20-month-old daughter, she eats dirt by the handful. We have lost our touch with dirt. I mean, very real. It is so good for you. Don't wash so, it. I mean, I, I don't know how you could. I mean, we're kind of laughing, like, how does she wash these? Because, you know, first of all, we don't, we don't add water usually either, and that would be adding water. So, um, it's, it's just like they come in, we haven't sprayed anything noxious on them. We press these grapes and we make them into wine, which produces alcohol, which kills just about every pathogen on the country. And yeah, maybe once in a while, you know, a yellow jacket will be in that mix to start with, but um, there's nothing to wash off that's bad. Hmm. I wonder where they got that notion. Do you think that there's something in the commercial space in these big you know, I think that they're trying to compare it to, for example, going into Trader Joe's and buying, you know, as we all know, the two buck chuck or just mass producers cutting corners and kind of doing chemical type of, you know, ratios to make all the, you know, certain wines taste the same year after year instead of just saying, okay, this is what we're being given during harvest. You think there's that well, going on that they're comparing to or where do you think that's coming from? Well, that, I don't, I mean, I think it's a way to try to sell wine into, like, you know, mm. fear into people that these wines are bad for them, which, mm -hmm. you know, to be honest, unless you're overindulging, wine is pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. So, of course, those people have to do that. And if people want to buy a wine for two bucks, what do you expect, right? <laughs> right. You're going to get the, the headache or whatever. You just, there's not going to be a lot of careful things going in there sometimes, probably. I, mean, I can't make a wine for two dollars. I, I can't. My, my materials outside the wine cost more than that per bottle. So, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't have both ways, right? But there is a lot of fear mongering going on about like, you know, whether it's, you know, of the week. I mean, there was this thing about, you know, arsenic in wine about a year ago, right? Well, yeah, there, there is, arsenic is a naturally occurring compound in soil. And if you look hard enough, you may be able to find arsenic, right? But it's organic. So right. there's one, and then there's always, almost always, this thing saying that, you know, it causes cancer in women, which is just like, I don't know what that's all about, but that's like, it always seems to be targeted against women. Hmm. Uh, there, there's, there's constantly this kind of fear mongering about it. And I, you know, I, certainly you can become ill from drinking too much wine. <laughs> well, with anything though, right? I mean, if you eat too many orange, you know, one orange is great or one peach. How about using your farm? One peach is great. But if you eat five in one sitting, that's going to be painful. <laughs> so then you come into the cellar and the way that, you know, we do things, of course, our, our winery is, as you know, right here by the vineyard. So mm -hmm. We pick our grapes at, uh, we begin picking at four in the morning. Uh, we like to do that so that the grapes stay cool and crisp. And it's also uh, good for the workers. Uh, we don't want any heat stress on people or grapes. Um, it's really lovely that time of day. We make sure our neighbors know that we're gonna be out there. Uh, and the grapes are all in here by uh, 10 in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, which is great for everybody. Um, it's, it's really nice out at four in the morning, by the way. 
you know, I've been getting up at four in the morning, at least at my place, because my daughter, she loves to pop up at four or 5am. And I'm thinking, for how long, even though I like being up in the morning. So I kind of know what 4am looks like, not in a vineyard, but (laughs) I know what 4am looks like. It's actually pretty nice sometimes. (laughs) So you bring them into the cellar and on the whites, uh, we just we just press them using a bladder press, they go to a, a stainless steel tank. And the reds are usually destemmed. We take the stems off the berries and they go into fermenters. Now I do add yeast here. I use a commercial yeast um, and I use different yeast for different uh, varieties just because I am of a Germanic background and I like to be in control of that. They're all non-GMO. There's nothing wacky about the yeast, but that then takes the sugar, the natural sugar in, in the grape juice and converts it into ethanol, CO2, and heat. And what I do is, on the whites particularly, I keep that temperature controlled by keeping them in a jacketed tank where I can control the tank temperature. Uh, the CO2 then uh, is released, and we end up with uh, wine, which was made from grapes and yeast. That's it. Wow. I have two questions around that. The first is, the oak barrels that some wineries use. I'm not sure if you've ever used oak barrels. My yeah. understanding is that they're, you know, talking about allergens, a lot of people are drinking wine and they're getting allergic reactions, right? The histamine reaction from the, you know, I'm from the red grape skins yep. that, you know, they think the sulfites, there's a lot of allergic reactions, having headaches, hangovers. So I definitely want to dive into that a little bit, but one of the allergens that just popped into my mind, cause you said stainless steel tanks is the, oak barrel. So is it my correct understanding that in order to seal those oak barrels, there's a wheat paste that's used and that can be of a small particle that would get into the wine and anybody who has celiac or, you know, Crohn's or any kind of digestive issue that's really severe might actually have that gut reaction from that. Well, so we use oak barrels for all of our reds. Um, Okay. And they, uh, um, we don't, there's, there's, we, we put a, um, a fungicide on the outside of those, which is a natural thing just so they don't get mold on them. Mm. Uh, but that's on the outside of the barrel. As far as how the coopers uh, put the barrels together, I do not believe that they use any kind of glue that is wheat based. Okay. I know that my friend Adam Lee from Sidori did a test on that. Um, other than that, there is just no way that there's any gluten anywhere around. Okay. Fascinating. So maybe that was an old way that it might've been done, but, or my sources can be wrong. And I, that's why I'm talking with you because I really want to be clear with the listeners and for myself in general as well, but again, from the nutritional background of people reacting to what's being, you know, the wines being filtered through like animal products. So I know that, you know, some wineries are vegan and some aren't. Can you speak to that sure. a little bit with the filtration? And then I have one question around the sugar aspect, but uh, let's jump there real quick. So first of all, the inside of the barrel is charred, right? So the okay. way they just make the barrels is they put them together and then they light a fire in them and you get different char levels in there mm. kind of what you want. So you, that's where some of the toastiness comes from. Mm. Some of that kind of, you get like toast and uh, it will also help you with some of that um, buttery character for white wines if you want it. Um, so that's on the barrel thing. What was the other, what did you just say? What's the other one? The uh, veganism, the, the, what you filter through. 
Sure. So, um, and then there's a process called fining. And fining is uh, for all the cooks out there, like if you would clarify a soup, right? If you wanted to clarify a soup, you may use egg whites to do so. So what you would do for a consomme, for instance, you would you know, mix up some egg whites and you would make them into a froth and you would put that into the soup and then they would fall to the bottom and then you would take the soup off the top. So we don't generally use anything like that. For our white wines, we fine our white wines to take out some proteins because that will make them hazy in the bottle and that doesn't look nice, doesn't hurt anything, but it doesn't look nice. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we have to sell the wine. So we use a bentonite clay. So it's a, um, it's a natural clay. We make a slurry. We put it into the wine. We mix it all up. It falls to the bottom. We take the wine off the top of that, which is kind of one of the things that's causing this issue. Like people say, what, why are there not ingredients listed? So, you know, would I list that? I mean, it touched the wine, but it's not in it, right? Mm -hmm. So the same thing is with Fining for with egg whites or um, within the, there there's no there you could use like um, isn't glass which is fish bladders which nobody I know uses um, back in the old 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 days you could use uh, uh, cow blood I think but I you know that's like probably back in the Middle Ages. Um, so what we that's what they had right I mean we think about wine being vegan now but that they're really using what their resources were correct. Yeah. So if, if I had a wine that had, um, it was a real astringent wine and, and I, I haven't done this in, in years and years, but I have in the past, I would find that with egg whites. So I would do the same thing as if making that consomme, I would, you know, make up the slurry of albumin and I would let it sift through the wine and take out those proteins and then take mm. the wine off the top. Now, in our opinion, that makes that wine not vegan because an animal product has touched the wine, even though it's not in it. Right. All, all of our wines uh, are vegan. Uh, and if they are not, if I've had to use egg whites, which happily knock on wood, I have used in numbers of years, um, we would say so. So here's the other wacky thing. I would love to put on the label that they are, uh, and I do, I say in our tasting notes that they are vegan. Um, I, in order for me to put that on the label, I have to get a certification and it's like a thousand dollars a wine. So, mm -hmm. and we have that. So I completely understand yeah, right? and a lot of label laws right now. And I mean, you're in the wine industry, so you absolutely know, but of course I'm learning having had this business for about 20 months, we are definitely understanding what it means to put what we can or cannot on the label. And what's fascinating that just came up for us is that we had a certified vegan label or logo that we pay happily for, as you know, because you know you're vegan and you've tested to that. Um, and they won't let us put that on the label because they say that it's making a health claim, that it's certified vegan. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then so they said, but you can just write out certified vegan on the label. Like, that's crazy. Oh, really? I, that, so again, I'm, I'm learning, but now they just came back this week and another TTB looked at label because we're looking for colas. I know some people listening may not understand what that means, but basically trying to get the label approved for, you know, a new rosé batch coming up. And they said, you can't put certified on there anymore. <laughs> you can put vegan or vegan friendly, but you can't put the word certified. I'm thinking... But yeah. we pay for that certification and there's reasons for that. And what about the health of the consumer or people that do that for their religion? 
Yeah. You know, there's so many different things that go into that. So I, I'm trying to cool my jets a little bit as a nutritionist and, you know, think about label transparency and what we're really paying for, but what they're, it's just such an interesting line, but they're not saying anything about the certified glyphosate free logo yeah. label, anything that has been untouched. It's all about the vegan. Well, let me tell you my craziest one, short story. Yeah. I make a hopped wine here, right? We grow the hops. Uh, we grow the Sauvignon Blanc and I, 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 um, I kind of make a big uh, tea uh, with Sauvignon Blanc and hops. And then I take the hops out and I filter the wine and I mm. bottle it and we sell it. And then I went to get the label approved and, you know, I was rejected, I think more times than anybody in the history of label <laughs> rejection. They finally made me call it um, white wine with natural flavors. Oh. I, I am not allowed to say it's Sauvignon Blanc. I cannot say it's a state grown. I can't vintage date it. I can't say that it doesn't, it can't have an appellation. So with their idea of this being something transparent to tell people what's inside that bottle, this basically does exactly the opposite, saying white wine with natural flavors. And when I see natural flavors, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, it, it sets my radar up going like, it doesn't sound natural to me. Like, why wouldn't they just say what it is? But there, I kept trying to tell TTB, I'm like, you know, there aren't any hops in the wine. I took the hops out. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That's yeah. exactly the other piece that we are looking at right now. It's very interesting that you brought that up. We won't spend too much time there, but I think it's fascinating for the listeners. Again, learning what is in what you're consuming. If it's calling someone like you and saying, hey, you know, I have questions, you know, going to the vineyard, being part of the process, you know, really understanding that if you want to be well and healthy on all different levels, but same thing with my wine, as you know, Karen, we infuse organic turmeric, lemon peel, chicory root, and muscadine grape skin. And we do that because as a nutritionist, I have known those ingredients over thousands of years to help the body be healthier, you know, raise the antioxidant level, protect the liver, things like that. But of course I cannot say that I can't make those health claims. Right. So now the new ruling with the TTB is the same thing. They're making me say, you know, red wine with natural flavors. And, but those ingredients, you know, Steve Clifton, you know him very well, beautiful, wonderful person that I'll be speaking to as well. Another podcast, the winemaker, he infuses those into the wine, but it doesn't change the flavoring, the aroma. There's no sediment, nothing. We are literally enhancing even more benefits. I know wine's amazing in general, but from the nutrition aspect for me, you know, giving that cl the clients the extra edge, if you will, right. The just, you know, optimal health, the extra edge there. And so I'm in this quandary right now because natural flavors in the nutrition world, usually there's a lot hiding behind that MSG chemicals, you know, on lotion, for example, it can be all called natural. If there is one ingredient, chamomile for example in that but 99% chemical but if there's chamomile you can say that it's a natural lotion that's crazy so and that's been for years and years and years but this is what we're up against as far as you know the wine industry too and I I think the wine industry is amazing and there are so many beautiful winemakers like yourself and people that you know love the vineyards and tend to them and it's you know, it's their world, you know, why would they do something, you know, other than that, as far as for the consumer hurt them in any way, I don't think that that's their intention at all. 
but it's just, why do we have to drop these illusions, these masks, <laughs> funny enough, masks, yeah. um, and say, why, why are we putting natural flavors in there? That's not the truth. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, part of the issue is that we don't have to in the wine industry um, list ingredients. And I think that mm. if we don't do that, probably gives uh, both confusion and opportunity to those who are currently trying to like, you know, take this down a little bit. But, and the reason that we don't list ingredients is twofold. One is it changes probably every year. If we are doing any kind of uh, winemaking, we have to like, you know, um, add some tartaric acid because we had a heat wave and it all respired out of the grape uh, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so we would have to change the label every year. And now you've experienced how, how much fun that is. Every time we change <laughs> the label, we have to get it approved by the federal government. Painful. Uh, and it's expensive and timely to change labels all the time. Right. And the, other, the other one is a conundrum. Like, well, what is an ingredient? So, you know, if I, I, I obviously had yeast who converted the sugar to ethanol. It's not in there anymore. So mm -hmm. what, do, what do I list as the ingredients, right? I mean, even great if, point. Even if I, do I list bentonite because I find the Sauvignon Blanc with clay, but it's not there anymore. So, so like, how do you say what's an ingredient? That's the other thing. Well, you touch on something very important and I completely agree with you. And that brings me to sulfites and sugar. Sure. So sulfites, my understanding, again, correct me if I'm wrong, is that they're naturally occurring and that the, you know, potato chips and dried fruit have more sulfites than wine would. So the 1% of the population that has a true sulfite reaction would also not be able to eat potato chips and dried fruit. Okay. But we have to put contained sulfites on the label, even if they aren't added. And my understanding is it's because of that possible 1% of the population who has a true sulfite allergy that every winemaker has to put that on a label. So let's, yes. I know we're getting short on time, but I would really love to touch on that because that's how we're being marketed to that. That's what we should focus on. Right. So for probably people that, well, they, people have also believed that they get headaches, particularly from red wine because of sulfites. And that is, generally not the case. I mean, there are some people who have severe sulfite issues, and as you say, they shouldn't drink um, wine, and they shouldn't have apple chips or potato chips or uh, I'm sure many, many, many other things, and I, I feel for them. That would be horrible. Mm -hmm. Generally, people get headaches from drinking too much wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, they're becoming dehydrated, and uh, there's histamines in wine, and uh, Histamines are, you know, they're a culprit for headaches and particularly with women. So women are more susceptible to histamines than men. And perhaps this is how it came about that women tend to like white wine more than men like white wine. Mm -hmm. uh, there are not as many uh, histamines in whites as there are in reds because we don't leave the whites on their skins, right? So everything in a grape is in the grape skin other than uh, natural acids and the liquid but tannin and histamines and flavor and color and all those other wonderful things like anthocyanins are in the skins themselves. So if you're making a white, uh, white wine, they're usually on their skins for like an hour maybe and red wines for weeks. So you're going to extract more of that stuff, mm. which is why red wines are going to have more tannin histamines and compounds in them. Mm -hmm. um, do we add sulfur here? 
we do. Uh, we, we use low levels of, of, of sulfur to make sure that the wines are uh, staying healthy and there's no microorganisms growing there that is going to cause them to uh, taste foul um, or to go bad or to turn to vinegar or to like, you know, change in the bottle to something that could have ropiness or other off flavors uh, and aromas. Uh, they're pretty low. Our total uh, sulfur is generally, which is um, a combination of three sulfur molecules, which are you know, the ones that are protecting everything, and um, ones that are bound up is usually 60 to 70 parts per million. Um, mm. the, the, I think the uh, level is 300, 350 is what you're over that you're in, in some uh, issues. Um, sugar. Just quickly, Karen, I want to interrupt you just very quickly because I want to tell you that we lab test everything, as you know, and we lab test all the wine. And for our listeners, just so you know, our wine only comes from Karen. She's the best. <laughs> we have one source and she is the main kahuna. She's, well, great she's our, our goddess. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the grapes come from her. But we've tested the sulfur content and it is basically it's almost undetectable if you can believe it because I've looked at just exactly the numbers that you're saying and we've lab tested a lot of wines you know because I want to compare and understand the chemistry of why is this wine higher in sugar why is it higher in sulfur you know whatever it is or mold for example and I mean less than half I mean it is I, I have to have the lab reports in front of me but I think we're like 20 or 30s like you can't even Right. It's so low. It's crazy. So I appreciate you being transparent about what you're doing, but also for the listeners, please know that it's minuscule. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what's in a lot of other wines. And my understanding, Karen, also on this point, correct me if I'm wrong, is when you add a lot more sulfur, like maybe some of the mass production, is it to make sure the wine stays on the shelf longer? Is it act as a preservative or, or why would a winery add an overdose, I guess, more than you, what you would add is probably a more proper way to say it. There's a, there's a couple of answers to that. Yes. Okay. It is going to preserve shelf life. So okay. it, it is a, um, it's a preservative. It's a, uh, you know, it's potassium metabisulfite is what we usually use. And it will um, preserve the aroma and the flavor and the color, and it will allow it to age without uh, going off. I mean, you don't want a wine that's going to have a bacterial infection or, uh, or, or just oxidize and end up with, you know, unless you're buying sherry, uh, end up with a sherry wine. So that, that's one of the reasons, too, uh, that they do it. And, and the other one is those wines generally have to travel an awful long way, right? So, you know, the natural wine movement, for one thing, is just like they don't use like commercial yeasts and they, they don't add sulfur, et cetera. But generally, those are pretty fragile wines and they shouldn't travel far from where they're being made. So the large guys are, I mean, they're, they're transporting wines all over the world and mm. they have to be stable when they get there. And, you know, people also expect wines to be stable. Um, now, it also depends on, on a picking decision. And if you pick a grape to be very, very ripe, a red grape particularly, but uh, you're going to have a high pH. And the higher your pH, the lower your acid. So it's going to be uh, you know, a, a very fleshy wine, let's just say, right? 
And the higher the pH, the lower the uh, the total or the, the higher the pH, so the lower the acidity. Again, you've got a potential for infection in that wine. So if you've got a high pH because you want a, a fleshy, velvety, plush wine, you really need to add more sulfur in order to make sure that that wine doesn't go off. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. I think that, again, it's one of those things that we're marketed to about. And then there's the advertisements of buying low sulfite wine and no sulfites added. And it kind of puts consumers in this hole of, okay, well, or the spinning wheel of, well, what do I believe? What's really true? What's really giving me the reaction? And then you have this misinformation. So thank you for clearing that up. The last thing I want to touch on, we just have a, a couple more minutes here, is sugar. It's huge, right? We think of, you know, maybe we get a headache or hangover from wine that has too much sugar in it, like having a bad fruity drink at a bar. You know, why did I do that? <laughs> so, and then also the health reasons as well, right? You know, people watching their sugar intake, diabetics, people on various diets like keto, for example. So can you speak to how wine creates that sugar? I know you touched on it a little bit. And because when we tested your wine, we literally have a gram of sugar in our entire bottle, which people, their jaws drop to the floor. How is that even possible? I have lab tests up the wazoo to show you that we literally have basically zero sugar per five ounce glass and they think it's a miracle <laughs> and I the numbers don't lie right, right. So, so please explain that process and why there would be sugar more sugar in other wines versus yours because we've lab tested that to be the case so uh, we don't uh, we, we you know we make sure that we can pick those grapes and we can grow those grapes to be optimally ripe in our opinion so that is a, a measurement of the pH and the acidity and the sugar level, which is measured by bricks, uh, which is a, a, a density measurement of sugar. I don't really care about how much sugar they have. I want them to taste good. So I mm. based our picking decisions on when the grapes taste like they're going to make a great wine. So, but they come in and they have natural sugar. So just like if you, you know, you pressed an apple, you're going to have uh, fructose and glucose in that juice. But the yeast then converts all of that sugar to ethanol. So the sugar has all been consumed. I don't do anything to get rid of sugar other than let the wine make itself. Mm. And, uh, and generally that will finish all the way dry all by itself. You don't have to do some, sometimes we have to like, you know, warm it up a little bit uh, by taking them outside, you know, <laughs> natural solar energy there. But um, if the wine goes, you know, does what it's supposed to do for, most cases, the way that we make it, uh, all that sugar will be consumed by the yeast. Hmm. Uh, and you, you will get, you know, in return, you'll get ethanol for it. Now, I do make one here where I stop it from going um, all the way dry. And that is, a, you know, we, as you know, Christine, we're outside of uh, the city of Solving, and there's a lot of people that go to Solving for bakery items, and they like sugar. Right. Who am I to tell people they, they don't like, I don't like sugar. I don't like, you know, I'm just not a sugar person. I'm a salt person, but um, they want sugar. So in this particular case, the wine that we make that is sweet, I just stop the fermentation two thirds of the way through. And that preserves the one third uh, fructose glucose, which is left in the wine. But otherwise, mm. you just, you just let nature do its thing. Hmm. 
So with these other wineries that have a lot higher of a wine content, is there, I'm sorry, of a sugar content, is there any way, I mean, how would they actually add sugar besides stopping in the process that you're talking about? Is that really the main way? It's not like they're pouring, you know, table sugar or they're adding fruit juice or is that the only way that you can increase the sugar content of the wine by stopping it early? That for, that process? It early, that's the only way. I mean, it's not legal in this country for us to add sugar to wine. That's called capitalization. They Interesting. They do it in France and uh, Europe. They're allowed to do it because they have a more difficult time getting their grapes ripe enough. So mm. if you can't get your grapes ripe enough, then you're going to have really low levels of alcohol and the wine is going to be out of balance. So... I mean, we like low alcohol as well, but we like it to be in balance. Um, if someone is trying to make the, the wine uh, sugary, having residual sugar in it, they can either stop it the way that we do it here, or you know, they, uh, they would probably add a concentrate or something. I'm not sure exactly what that would be, but mm -hmm. as far as capitalizing a wine, uh, we're not really allowed to do that here. Hmm. That's also great to know. A lot of people don't know this. You know, they're just saying, I don't feel good after drinking, you know, a glass or even maybe two. And I'm wondering why. And again, we always are told to point to the sulfites, but there's so much more there. So thank you for clearing up all that information. You taught me a lot today. <laughs> and I'm on this journey learning. And I'm just so honored that you are growing our grapes. So thank you for that. I really appreciate you and your process. And I love the gut feeling you had about the glyphosate. You know, I think that's another really good lesson is go with your gut, go with your intuition, what feels right, what doesn't, especially with the times that we're in right now. Well, it would be, you know, it's a, it would be an easier path. I have to say, if you could find a magic elixir that could take care of things like weeds or, you know, accelerate growth or, you know, <laughs> we would all like that silver bullet, right? But well, and that's, just, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, everyone has their different path. And I, again, respect that, but it is, it's saying, okay, is this right for me? Is it not right for me? And I just love what you said there. And the, it just doesn't feel right. You know, why harm something? Why not build it up? Why not make it stronger? Why not make it, you know, as healthy as possible and be something that you're proud of. And I mean, glyphosate, Unfortunately, I mean, I can't say unfortunately, but we all know now because of, you know, the news was a couple of years ago about coming out and not being so good for your health. And I've known that for a long time, but trust yourself, trust your intuition. And now, you know, listeners that we get the best grapes ever <laughs> there in Southern California. So you're welcome. And tell, your listeners should know that like the rule of law is to have a glass of wine, then a glass of water, then a glass of wine, then a glass of water. There you go. See, and that's balance, right? <laughs> well, that's hydration. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time today. You're amazing. And if there's anything else that you would like our listeners to know, because this is just the first conversation. I don't want it to be the only conversation because as we go along this journey, there's going to be more questions from the listeners. People are going to see, for example, what's out there in the world as far as what Cameron Diaz is doing and say, Hey, you know, this looks good, but I, I listened to this podcast and I, I want to know the truth here. So what's wonderful is now you're a resource for that. And hopefully they know that they can, right. They can call their vineyard. They can call you know, or look up the vineyard online and see if they're, following the practices that you are for the earth and for themselves. And, you know, I would say that 
I mean, I, as I said earlier, I just don't know anyone who is making wine and growing grapes who is, is one of these, you know, evil people that are, or some are being portrayed as being just small producers. There's many, many small producers. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of the things that this pandemic has also taught us is, you know, let's just support local farmers and local business people. Stay local if you can. Um, try not to like bring things in necessarily from overseas too much. I mean, there's a carbon footprint part of that as well. And just you know, the, the small guys who are growing vegetables or growing wine, um, they're, they're taking every care they can possibly do to keep things as sustainable as they possibly can. And they're not going to harm that in any way. And I think that we'll end there because it really is about loving ourselves, loving the earth and loving each other, right? Connection is what wine creates. It is. It's about community. It is about community. So Karen, again, thank you so much. I would love to give you a huge virtual hug. Again, this is just a first conversation, but thank you for your time today. And we'll definitely chat again soon. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Karen. You too. Thanks. (laughs) Bye.